You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. From the author of the book by the same name, it's The Best Saturdays of Our Lives Podcast with Mark McCray. Welcome back, everybody, to the Best Saturdays of Our Lives, the podcast. I'm Dan Klink, here with... Mark McRae. Uh, did you ever watch Thundar and think it'd be cool if the Herculoids rolled in? Or or if Space Ghost showed up in Batman? Well, that's not what this episode is, okay? Because that would be cuckoo bonkers, okay? I don't know if anybody ever wants to see that. What we are talking about, as an example, would be... How come it wasn't until 1987 when the Flintstones met the Jetsons when they should have been hanging since the 60s? We're talking about money left on the table here today, people. We're talking about why. Why, if you own this property and that property, how come the two never met or did so much later? Because, dang, that would have made a bunch of money. Right, exactly. You know, there are a, a zillion Facebook posts that always ask, what do you prefer, the Jetsons or the Flintstones? You know? Yeah, right. And it's kind of funny because in one of the episodes of The Jetsons, one of Elroy's friends is watching a repeat of a Flintstone episode, uh, <laughs> The Swimming Pool. Right. And so it's, right. it's, it's like a quick cameo. Right. Speaking of leaving money on the table, the Flintstones episode, The Long, Long, Long Weekend, which right. is episode 17 from the sixth season, oh, yeah. is... <laughs> Is one of my favorites because uh, the Great Kazoo uses his magic or was a technology. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> That's for, I mean, I mean, the guy, not to get off topic, but, you know, Kazoo was sent to the Stone Age because he created a formula that could have destroyed the universe, right? Yeah, so his punishment, he had to go hang out with the Flintstones. Yeah. Right. And, and so, long story short, he takes the Flintstones into the 25th century, which looks and feels exactly like the Jetsons' timeline. Right. And watching this episode, I always felt it would have been great if the Jetsons had showed up as a cameo in this particular episode. Right. It would have made so much sense, and it could have been a precursor to the Flintstones' Meet the Jetsons which, movie. Right, which probably depending on the reaction to their meeting up in the episode with the Great Kazoo, that whole Flintstones meet the J Jetsons would have probably happened at least 20 years before it actually did. Right. And so, you know, the thing that's always gone through my mind is, well, maybe there were economic reasons why this didn't happen. Oh, um, like, oh, well, I mean, those so, voice actors aren't free. Exactly. So George O'Hanlon, who played George Jetson, and Penny Singleton, who played Jane Jetson, respectively, right. you know, they weren't working for Hanna-Barbera at the time in 1966. You know, the Jetsons ran for one season, and once the show was over, these, these actors moved on to other projects and other roles. And in order to bring them in just for a short cameo, would have, might have impacted the budget. It may have impacted the budget just too much. And, and then, you know, I have personal reasons also. I, I, I feel like it would have been great to have the cameo of these great actors, you know, George O'Hanlon and Penny Singleton, you know, interacting with the Flintstones or not. Right. Uh, either or would have worked for me. But 20 years later, when they show up on, you know, the Flintstones meets the Jetsons movie, 
you know, unfortunately, Alan Reed had passed away and Henry Corden, who played Fred Flintstone's singing voice in the movie The Man Called Flintstone, is now doing Fred's voice. He He's takes a over. time actor. Right, right. He takes over. So if the crossover had happened, it would have been great having most of the original voiceover actors in the crossover episode of The Long, Long Weekend. Right. So that was another reason why I think it would have been a great idea. I mean, but no one could predict that Alan Reed would, you know, would pass away when he did, unfortunately. Sure. And Henry Corden is also... A, a favorite of mine because he played a lot of the villains' voices in Johnny Quest, and he also played Ukla the monk in Thundar the Barbarian, which is a favorite. Oh, Ukla! Of, much uh, Ukla love here on Best Saturdays of Our yeah. Lives podcast. Absolutely right. So here's the the twist, and um, Dan, you know, uh, definitely. <laughs> I'd like to hear your opinion about this. Okay. So the main plot of the Flintstones meet the Jetsons revolves around Elroy inventing a time machine that he wants to use to take the family to the 25th century. The twenty. And audience, mind you, he wants Elroy to take them to the 25th century. Okay. Okay. Right. Right. Because the Jetsons technically are in the 21st century, mm-hmm. even though they never mention the year on any of the episodes, they do say, well, we're 21st century. There are references to the 21st century. And so, you know, this would have been perfect to tie this 1987 movie with the 1966 episode. Oh, right, uh, right, right. You know, so what do you think about this? I mean, do you think that someone... At Hanna Barbera, perhaps had watched the long, long weekend, and decided like, well, maybe we should do a follow up on this episode where the characters meet somewhere, or saw somebody leave a bunch of money on the table from twenty years ago, and it's like, oh my god, is there any of that money left? <laughs> <laughs> Did somebody pick that money up and do something else with it? Right, right. Um, that, you know, that's a good question. That's a good question. Um, okay, first, real quick. You know, because Kazoo takes and I mean, and you had pointed out what uh, episode 17, season six, because Mark McRae is a cartoon calculator when it comes to all of this information, mm-hmm. uh, how he takes them into the 25th century. And Elroy wants to take his family to the 25th century. I think that's a neat little Easter egg in Jetsons Meet the Flintstones. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And who knows, maybe some, a Hanna-Barbera employee, you know, was inspired by the long, long weekend. I and, think that's it. I think that's exactly right. Right. You yeah. Know? And, yeah. and uh, you know, and all of a sudden this project, you know, came about. But I agree. Right. I feel like this crossover should have happened when... The Flintstones was in its original production. Right. And all of the actors, most of the actors, uh, were still around. Right. Because there's a, a wonderful uh, Yogi Bear cameo that's in the Flintstones episode. And Yogi Bear doesn't have any contact with Fred Flintstone. Yogi steals Fred Flintstone's uh, picnic basket. And, oh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and makes the joke that he's smarter than the average Fred Flintstone. And that's it. There's also a really great cameo with um, the crew from Top Cat are visiting a museum and there's a caveman exhibit and there are statues of Fred and Barney as cavemen. (laughs) (laughs) 
I didn't know that. In the what museum, was that, Secret Squirrel? This was in, in Top Cat. Top Cat. Top mm-hmm. Cat. And all of a sudden, the background music to the Flintstones theme starts to play as the character, as Top Cat and his friends are like, don't those cavemen look familiar? Right. <laughs> Which I thought <laughs> nice. was really cool. So, again, just, you know, reiterating that Hanna-Barbera was really great at letting viewers know that all of these characters are in the same family. Right. Again, it also happens in the 1967 season when Space Ghost crosses over with all of the Hanna-Barbera action shows and establishes, in my opinion, the Hanna-Barbera multiverse. Oh, or the Hanna-Barbera superhero universe. Right, right. Because as a kid watching this, I was just completely floored. I mean, I never... I mean, you're a kid watching a cartoon. You're not reading credits, and you're not thinking that some of these shows are made by the same people. Sure. <laughs> Even though you're you're hearing the same music cues, but you know when you're right. four or five years old, you're not thinking in those terms. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, so I thought that was also pretty awesome as well, you know. But it wouldn't happen again really until 1970. Uh, with the introduction of Josie and the Pussycats, you yep. know everybody again. Josie and the Pussycats, right? Our 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 Mark's contractual one Josie the Pussycat <laughs> drop in every episode. <laughs> it's in my contract, but there's so many amazing things about that series, and I have to bring them up because I want people to think about Josie and the Pussycats a little different than as they would normally think of that particular series because it's no it's, absolutely it's, it's a great it's an amazing series everybody if you haven't purchased them all on dvd mm-hmm. and hunted them down then well hey christmas is coming you right. know so yeah. the second season of the new scooby-doo movies um from what i understand my facebook Hanna Barbera employees uh that i've connected with have indicated that the second season the budget did not allow for a lot of the celebrity voices to come back for the second season. Okay. Yeah. And so the solution was to have Scooby and his friends cross over with the current uh, Hanna-Barbera stars that already had a particular series on the CBS network. That included Josie and the Pussycats, Speed Buggy, the genie cartoon where genie is a teenager and she has a sidekick named uh, babu who is sure the, the worst uh genie apprentice ever and yeah that, it was like it was like an orco type character oh yeah oh yeah very much in the vein of orco and so right. they met in episode 7302 the haunted showboat episode and right. what i think is really cool about the episode right away it establishes that the Scooby-Doo gang has heard of Josie and the Pussycats and they talk about how they like their, how they like Josie's music and they know who Josie and her friends are in the world. And I think that's right. cool. And that's, that's another thing that you and I have talked about, Dan, of how the writers for the new Scooby-Doo movies, you know, they were pretty consistent in continuity. If they ran into characters, again, like the Harlem Globetrotters, Instead of like, look, it's our friends, the Harlem Globetrotters. It was the dialogue was more like, hey, so great to see you guys again since that last mystery. They were cooler about it. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, if I can just go on a little side thing here, what I liked what Hanna Barbera was doing was uh, that they were respecting, yeah, they were respecting the continuity of their own continuity. 
Mm -hmm. Sorry, I had this big, you know, three or four sentence thought about it, and then it all just was boiled down (laughs) to, yeah, I I agree with you, Mark. That's totally awesome. And uh, there's a really cool exchange between Scooby-Doo and Sebastian, the Pussycats mascot, where Scooby is asking, like, you're Sebastian, right? (laughs) You know, something like that. Like, Scooby's, you know, like just making sure he's getting Sebastian's name correct, which I think is cool. Playing it real cool with their... With their shared right. universe, right? So yeah. this this now I can just imagine like yeah, like uh, you come to visit and it's, the door opens like, hey family, look, it's our good friend Mark McRae. <laughs> you, 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 you hear you hear the you cue the clan applause, uh, the canned applause, applause from mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. from the from the live studio audience, right? Right, and I might even yeah. break the fourth wall and look out towards the audience. Yes, it's me, all right. <laughs> <laughs> With that big old beautiful smile. Yeah. Right. Right. Yep. Oh my god. Yep. Trans- yeah. Transition. Uh, it, yeah. Laughter to applause to laughter. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You go um, back to camera A. <laughs> so go back, and then the sh- the show continues. And exactly. so, right. while researching this episode, Dan, I found out that there was um, a little bit of episode swapping going on, and with CBS being very strategic about okay. uh, this Josie and the Pussycats crossover on the new Scooby Doo movies, right. and so. 7302 actually premiered before 7301 and the episode swap was strategic, you know, since it gave Josie and the Pussycats a 1973 season premiere, even though it was a guest shot on another show prior to the 1972 Josie and the Pussycats episodes airing later in the day that were definitely in repeats. And so I think the network. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I think the network was thinking, you know, we don't have any new Josie and the Pussycats episodes in Out of Space. So why don't we swap episodes and make Josie the premiere episode for the second season of Scooby Doo? It would also establish that Josie and the Pussycats off screen or off stage returned to Earth. I think it also establishes, uh, I think in a lot of kids that would, no, I mean, Hey, real quick, I want to say that is, that is a plus, uh, programming strategy right there. That hell, is, hell that, should, that, yeah. that should be taught. That should be taught in colleges. Okay. Yeah. And, and here's why, mm-hmm. because a lot of the kids in terms of, in terms of their actual Josie and the pussycat viewership going into that, the, the, you know, their, their rerun season would instill at least a subconscious sense of false hope that they're coming back for real. Right. So you better stay tuned and keep watching these reruns, kids, because they showed up in Scooby-Doo. Anything can happen. Right. Wow. And so I thought that was cool. Yeah, cool, cynical, and cynical. That's, that's well, just, well, a little cynical. <laughs> hey, I mean, business, you man, know. Business. That's money that they definitely did not leave on the table right there. Right, nice. exactly. So that was really strategic. And um, I can go even further back. So... In the New York market, at least, I can definitely verify, which was a CBS-operated and owned station, you know, similar to, like, where you grew up, the one in L.A. Yeah. Um, yeah. They also swapped the episode, and there is also a Scooby Bent. There's also, it's almost like the reverse. And so, in 1970, when Josie premiered, they swapped episode two for episode one, because episode two 
there's a Scooby-Doo mention. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so they did the same swap. They did the same swap. And there you go. Um, so the episode, they are dealing with plant creatures that have come to life. And they think that, you know, they think that the plant creature has eaten Alexandra. And so right. they start beating the, 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 the plant creature up. And then once Alexandra reveals herself to just be in disguise as a plant creature, she goes, who are you expecting, Scooby-Doo? <laughs> and so right there, yes. it establishes that Josie and the Pussycats has been brought to you by your friends who created Scooby-Doo. You know, right. the big hit from the pro- from the previous year that also will have new episodes later in the schedule. <laughs> right, right. See, that's how you get it done. That's, see, that's why Josie and the Pussycats is the greatest show. Right. Because here we are talking about money left on the table. Yeah, Josie and the Pussycats, nope, nope, you can take that to the bank. Right, exactly. Plus, the episode is the darkest episode of, of the original 16. Hmm. It sort of has a uh, a film noir feel to it as well. It feels, it almost feels like a Scooby episode because it takes place at night and there's mysterious things going on. And right, unlike right. unlike the rest of the episodes, which usually take place in the daytime, there's a lot of great chases, but not a whole lot goes on at night. Did you ever wonder why there are 24-hour kid networks? In my book, The Best Saturdays of Our Lives, I write about how Saturday morning became a competitive business and the proving ground for what would become the 24-hour kid network. My book covers the big bang of the 1960s explosion of high ratings to the early digital age of Saturday morning's last hurrah, the 1990s. You can purchase my book by going to thebestsaturdaysofourlives.com and I will ship you a signed copy. We are the Earthstation One Podcast, and we approve this message. Hey, I'm Judy, and I've been a listener of Earthstation One for over 10 years. Yeah, every day while Mike edited together over 550 episodes, you know all that geek-themed blah, blah, blah. I've listened so much that now I hear howdy in my sleep. You, too, can enjoy all the Earthstation One fun wherever fine podcasts are found. Okay, Mike, I did this for you. Are we going to get another dog now? The Earth Station One podcast. Over 10 years for geeks by geeks. I think it's really cool that the programming team at CBS, they're doing everything right strategically with the new Scooby-Doo movies. They did everything right strategically during the 1970 season when Josie premiered. And, I, you know, there wasn't a lot of uh, strategic things going on back in the day. And it's really cool to know that people were actually thinking about delivery and episode order and what would best suit the audience. Right, right. Because today you see it everywhere. You know, I've I've seen shows, uh, hell, I've seen networks squeeze two shows together to do a, two shows that don't belong together, where they've even looked mm-hmm. at the camera and said, hey, uh, it was uh, Uncle Grandpa and Steven Universe did that. Right. Two completely oh, different yeah. shows. And they even look at the camera and say, hey, this isn't canon. Yeah. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love that cross. Oh, it was cool. Oh, it was rad. God. It was super rad. Yeah, it, was, it yeah. was super cool. Today, where it's being embraced. Back then, right. it was another story. Um, I'm glad that crossover happened, and I'm sure it was a nice surprise for viewers. And you know, the whole point of crossovers is to hopefully, uh, from a strategic and programming standpoint, is to get viewers to watch the more popular show. By crossing over and mixing your audiences. Oh, absolutely. And 
the the weirdest one for me that happened back in the day, which I think I don't know if you and I ever talked about it, was the Magnum PI Murder She Wrote crossover. Oh yeah, we yes. Yes, you and I have spoken endlessly about that actually. Oh my yeah. gosh. I'm like, yeah. really? And yeah. you know, like Murder She Wrote, it ran a long time, but I'm sure that audience skewed pretty old. Oh you know? yeah, no, absolutely. And, absolutely. <laughs> right. Right. And uh so but you know, behind the scenes, I always you always have to wonder, like, was anyone resistant to doing such a crossover? And did the Magnum PI people think that crossing over with Murder She Wrote would kinda, you know, soil their brand a little bit, you know? Oh right. Uh, <laughs> That's when the network tells you well, what to do that yeah when they talk about the, you know, the suits getting involved in the creative aspect that's a perfect example and all you can do is sit there and go yeah they're exactly gosh how much damage is this going to do to our brand to our image right right yeah right. But they didn't care. i'm sure the network didn't care i'm sure it was yeah. like well we don't care this show needs help it needs younger people watching the demo and we need those ratings numbers and this is going to happen that's right that's right and that's it yep so, uh, but anyway, uh, getting back to Scooby and Josie and this awesome crossover. So there are cool things that are also happening in it. You know, the two foodies of each team, which is Shaggy <laughs> right. and Melody. Right. You know, Melody mentions food almost in every episode of Josie and the Pussycats. They are sitting together at the table, passing food by each other, right. looking at each other. And they have expressions on their faces like, wow, we're really going to enjoy all this food. So I think that was also a nice touch to sit Shaggy and Melody together um, during a crossover. The missed opportunity happens where there's this extended chase scene and there's no cool music by the Pussycats or by another gentleman named Austin Roberts who did all the singing for Scooby-Doo during the second season and and that series uh, chase sequences. Right. Either or, either Pussycats music or Austin Roberts, who was representing Scooby chase music. Do either of those? What are they? Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, didn't didn't happen. It did not happen. Now, the music for this particular chase music was done in 1970, and it carried over to 1971. Perhaps there was some music rights issues. Right. Uh, Again, maybe money was involved. Maybe Hanna-Barbera didn't want to necessarily pay out the rights to license, to relicense the music to use in another show. Oh, yeah. Right. Maybe that music was only licensed to be used in Josie and the Pussycats proper or second season Scooby Doo proper. Right. But it would have been awesome if there had been either some cool Josie music playing in the background or music being sung by Austin Roberts, who the guy that wrote and produced a lot of the music is a gentleman named Danny Jansen who wrote and produced a lot of the music for Josie and the Pussycats in that 1970-71 season, as well as second season Scooby-Doo. So Danny Jensen was really busy working on these shows, and and the chase sequences really worked for both series. And right. I'm like, wow, you have these two iconic series together, and there's a huge chase scene, and the really cool music that is supposed to play isn't there. 
Right, from coming from either side, either side, yeah, totally. Right, so it was it was a missed opportunity. Now the funny thing is, I know that fans feel the same way because if you go on YouTube, have taken the chase sequence that's in the Haunted Showboat episode, and they have laid in Josie music. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Fan, fans to the rescue. Fans to the rescue, exactly. So I think that's cool, but it would have been an opportunity. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and who knows, you know, like Hanna-Barbera, not that I'm trying to make up any excuses for for a production company, they were sort of going through a transition with a lot of the cartoons being animated in Australia, and, um, you know, maybe getting a lot of those issues sorted out may have gotten in the way of someone not thinking about, hey, you know what might be a cool idea? Let's put on some cool Josie music in the chase sequence. Since right. Josie is the guest on the new Scooby-Doo movies. Right. You know, it's, it's like in all the Scooby-Doo Harlem Globetrotters crossovers, basketball playing is involved somehow. Right. It always seems to make it into the storyline. Yo, hey, yeah. I mean, can you imagine a Globetrotters episode where basketball wasn't woven into the plot, ah. like what would that look like? What would uh, ah. what? Um, I mean, of course, it could go adventure. You could go all kinds of ways. I'm just thinking oh, I'm sh- an episode well, where uh, they all just kind of sit around and get to know each other. <laughs> you know. Well, let me ask you this: And when the Home Globetrotters crossed over to Gilligan's Island, was a basketball? Oh yeah, dude. Yeah. Game involved. Uh, yes. Yeah. So no, to save the island against the evil robots. Uh, against the guy that was trying to take over the island with the evil robots, and only a game of basketball was going to solve that issue. I just think that, that as, would as, as gentlemen, as gentlemen, they, they <laughs> as as uh, as all gentlemen resolve their issues on the court. Right, right, and and that's the way it should be. That's right. You know, like uh, back in the day, a lot of the gangs in New York in the late seventies, you know, started breakdancing. And, you know, they started doing, the gang started doing more breakdancing than rumbling. Right. And a lot of the issues were resolved through breakdancing as opposed to, you know, someone getting hit over the head or, right. or worse things happening. That's that's what, you know, the UN needs to, ins- no more militaries, okay? Mm-hmm. You need mm-hmm. to you need to have a solid break, you need to have a solid breakdance squad and basketball team. All economic crises will be resolved. That's right. On the mat. On the court. <laughs> yep, there you go. So look, we just solved all the world's problems, everyone. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, you're welcome. Best Ideas of Our Lives podcast, yo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. More positive than a New Day pancake. More fun than a super kick party. It's the wrestling podcast from the host, who is the hammer swinging, burrito eating, well you know the rest, of Thunder Talk, Sexy Thor! It's the ring of thunder found in the Thunderverse and among the great podcasts of the ESO Network. Look, we gotta talk. Yeah, Thunder Talk. We're going all kinds of sideways with that sweet nerd junk. Woke nerd junk. It's topical. Political. Dare I say radical. We've got all your latest news and reviews. Hot music. And a whole lot of comedy. But it ain't for kids. Definitely mature content. So let's talk. Let's talk Thunder Talk. 
ThunderTalk is a proud member of the ESO Network. Speaking of the Josie Scooby-Doo crossover episode, it should have ended with all of them at a concert at a club somewhere, and the Scooby gang is looking up the stage like, yeah, and Josie and the Pussycats are up on stage, and the episode ends with them playing the Scooby-Doo theme song. Oh my gosh, that would have been awesome. Yep, yep, yeah, tell tell, tell 1973 to give me a call. I will. I, I got. Will. I got some ideas. We're gonna, we're gonna have to use. We're gonna have to use Elroy's uh, time. Elroy time <laughs> oh, we you got know. jokes, everybody. We got jokes. <laughs> yeah. So you know, we're living in the 21st century. That time no, machine we are, should be yeah. around here somewhere. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We use Elroy's time machine that was built in the 20th century where we live, and we'll just use it to go back to 1973, and we'll tell the writers of the new Scooby-Doo movies, this is how you should end the episode. Right, right. And then do a mic drop, and they won't know what a mic drop is. (laughs) 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 But it will prove that we're from the future and they should listen to us. That's right. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, heaven forbid we actually go back to like maybe the 50s and become television like children's uh, cartoon executives. Uh, no, no, we'll just we'll let people who need to know need to know, and then we're out. Yeah, that's that's the only history I, we would change right there. <laughs> yeah, right there. <laughs> Anything so else more or there, less seems to be working. Right, there, there won't be a butterfly effect either, because all we're doing is changing the ending, so it can't really affect anything in the future. Oh, yeah, it would make just the world that much more brighter. That's all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 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 You're welcome, time space continuum. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast is a co production of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives studios and the Weirdos Workshop. To get a personalized signed copy of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives book, go to the Best Saturdays of Our Lives.com. This is Mark McRae signing off. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.